0: By the time I was 25 years old, I knew I needed mentors in the Christian life. Within me, there was a great conflict. On the one hand, there was a deep hunger for God that I knew every day, almost every hour, this longing for a deeper walk with God. On the other hand, there was a deep hunger for the praise of men. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be known. I wanted to be the center of attention. And you know, in Christian ministry, that works fine. You can be the center of attention. And so there were these two conflicts in me, and I didn't know how to sort that out. Now, I was 25 years old, and it wasn't as though I was just beginning. By the day I was 25, I had Spent a tour of duty in the Army. I had worked in business. I had an undergraduate honors degree in history. I had years of theological study. I had pastored a church. I started pastoring a church when I was 21 years old, a rural farm church in central Virginia, 75 people. Let me tell you about it sometime. And, and I had become a foreign missionary. So it wasn't as though I hadn't done anything. But at the same time, there was this deep, deep conflict within me, and I knew I couldn't figure it out by studying more Greek, Hebrew, and theology. Not that that's a bad thing. I had done years of that. But that wasn't enough. I needed to take what I had gotten and begin to put it into practice, and I needed to walk with others who were farther along in the Christian life that could teach me and mentor me in the ways of Christ. Now, George, you're supposed to be preaching on the lectionary this morning. So in this passage in Mark 6, what is Jesus doing? Now, there are a number of different ways you can look at this passage. So let me suggest that this morning we look at this passage as Jesus mentoring ministers. What's Jesus doing here? He's mentoring. He's mentoring. And he's mentoring a specific kind of minister. He's mentoring leaders. Have you noticed that not every minister is a leader? Have you noticed that? And not every leader is a minister. These are leaders. These are apostolic leaders. Jesus is mentoring apostolic leaders. Now, if you're going to mentor a leader, it's, a, it's helpful to know how they are called. So Ephesians 4 tells us, in the church, there are these different kinds of leaders. They're apostles, they're prophets, they're evangelists, they're pastors, and they're teachers. They're all there. They are the same in that they all belong to Christ, but they're different in their calling and gifting. So if you're going to develop leaders... It's helpful to know the calling, to be in touch with how is this leader called? Well, how is this leader gifted? Because we're gifted to do what we're called to do. One indication of calling is how are we gifted? And so Jesus knew he was mentoring the future apostolic leaders of this movement he had come to catalyze, and he knew exactly what he was doing. So this process begins actually in verse six, and it's spread out much more widely in the account of Luke. Luke gives one chapter to each of these. Chapter 9, Jesus goes out and preaches the gospel. Next chapter, Jesus sends out the 12. Next chapter, Jesus sends out the 72. This is all Jesus mentoring leadership. So how is leadership mentored? What did Jesus do? Four things. The first thing he did, he took the trainees with him, took them with him. You know, I had a lovely conversation with Bishop Keith not long ago. He was with us in Wittenberg in Germany when we had the final several days of the Wittenberg Initiative. It was such a blessing to have him there. And we were talking here, and he said to me, George, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, you know, I'm going to rest and write. He said, look, you could start a center here on reconciliation. And I said to him, you know, If I was going to start a center, not that I am, but if I were, it would be a center on discipleship because the ministry of reconciliation is a fruit of Christ-likeness formed in the inner life. It's a fruit of that. So the foundation is not reconciliation. The foundation is Christ being formed in the inner life. And he was, of course, interested in that. He's interested in discipleship. And I found myself saying to him, you know, Keith, you can't make disciples on the Internet. Why? Because it's life on life. It's life on life. It's life on life. The Christian life is transferred to another life on life. And he really agreed with me. He says, you know, you're absolutely right. It's got to be life on life. Jesus knew that. And so how did Jesus train apostolic leaders? He took them with him. He said, look, you guys, come with me and watch what I do. Learn from what I do. That's how Jesus as his first step in mentoring apostolic leaders. You know, one mentor God gave me in India was a man called buck Singh. He was based in Suresh, Suresh's home city, Hyderabad. buck Singh was a convert from Sikhism. Do you know who the Sikhs are? You see them every now and then. They have the turbans and the beard. They're the Sikhs. And buck Singh was con- a converted Sikh. And by the time I connected with buck Singh, he had planted something like 200 living congregations all over India from many Hindu and Muslim converts in these living congregations. They weren't Anglican, but there are certain things about Anglicans that are different than Presbyterians, that are different than Methodists, that are different than Baptists, and there are other things that are absolutely the same. Why is that? Because it's the body of Christ. And the foundational realities of the body of Christ are of the same whatever tradition you find yourself in. So Buck Singh was my first mentor in church life. And you know how he trained, I mean, if you've got 200 living assemblies, you've got to be training new leaders. You know how he did it? How did he train leaders? He said to all his different pastors, and they called the pastors in that movement God's servants. That's what a, the name of a pastor was, God's servant. And all the God servants in the different congregations, he would say to them, send me the people here to Hebron, my home assembly, that you think have God's hand on them. And when they came, what would they do? They would serve. They would serve. They would clean the toilets. You know, in India, it's the outcasts that clean the toilets. Buck Singh had the potential leaders clean the toilets. They would go to early morning worship. They would go to early morning Bible study. They would go into evangelism. They would serve in the kitchen. And they would be in Hebron as a part of the life, learning life on life until the elders felt they were ready to be sent out to start another congregation. That's how they trained leaders. They had 200 different assemblies. Life on life, Jesus knew that. That's how he trained leaders. You know, I just want to tell you, Hope it's okay. Hannah and I are going to Germany again at the end of the month. I hate to talk about that on Sunday morning, but I don't get a chance to talk about it any other place. We're going to Germany again. We'll be there for a month. Why are we going? Let me tell you why we're going. We're going because of a talk we had in last November in Wittenberg with two young German adults. Well, they're in their thirties. And they came to us and they said in ways that was so honoring and so credible, George and Hannah, will you come and teach us? We want to learn. We want to learn how the Christian life works and we want you to come and teach us. Now you say, well, why would you go to Germany just because of that? Do you know how powerful that is? For people who hunger for God, who are trying to figure out how all this works, and who are asking for importation into their lives. So one of the things we're going to do is a six-day seminar on spiritual formation. We're going to deal with discipleship, humility, inner healing, living in the presence, spiritual disciplines, learning how to forgive, all of those subjects. I'll tell you about that now. But anyway, we're leaving on July the 30th. Why? Because there's hardly any greater fulfillment than to impart in the lives of particularly younger people who are hungry for God and trying to figure all this out. Are there any mentors in this congregation? Are there any people who are trying to figure out the Christian life in this congregation? Holy Spirit, bring these two together. Bring these two together. Now, the second thing that Jesus did, he sent these Young apostolic ministers into ministry early. He sent them in early. Mark 6. He sent them early. One thing you have to know about apostolic leaders, what are we talking about when we talk about apostolic leaders? We're talking about leaders called of God to initiate. They're pioneers. They break new ground. They have vision. And that's why we need to know these people when we see them. Let me tell you why. Because we tend to want everybody to fit with the program. But young apostolic leaders don't always fit with a program. They have their own program. And these people need to be released early, and they need to be released within certain boundaries, but they need to be released into ministry. You know another story? The year 1973... We had the ship Lagos in Sudan, Port Sudan. Oh, I don't want to get started talking to you about Port Sudan. What a place that is. Anyway, all kind of Sudanese wanted to join the ship. And so I, of course, I was the director, so my word stood, right? So I said, nobody can come. I had a list of qualifications, and they had to be at least 21 years old. We weren't taking anybody under 21 years old. We had five candidates. They all fell through, except one brother. His name was Kamal. He was only 20. Kamal. And so in the end I said, okay, Kamal, you can come. And the first thing we put Kamal doing is greeting people. I said, came up the gangway. You know, we had a book exhibition on the ship, so people would come up the gangway, and there's Kamal greeting the people coming up. He's 20 years old. Twenty years later, Kamal was the Middle Eastern director of our work. He got started young. But the potential of God was in his life, and he learned life on life, life on life, life on life, that was reproduced in him. And pretty soon he was reproducing it in others. Release the young leaders into a well-defined, they need a fence around where you're releasing them, but turn them loose. They'll make mistakes. That's part of growing. God is never hindered by mistakes. Shall I say that again? In the church, God is never hindered by mistakes. God is hindered by sin. And there can be sinful response to mistakes. So God's not hindered by the mistake. He's hindered by the sin. Release them early. Third thing that Jesus did. He called on them to rely upon the reality of the kingdom. Did you get that? And Jesus said to them, okay, you guys, now I'm sending you out. The only thing that you're supposed to take is your staff. Don't take any bread. Don't take a bag. Don't take money. Don't take extra clothes. (laughs) Don't take all that stuff. Well, Lord, where are we going to get our food? Where are we going to get our clothing? Where are we going to uh, put up for the night? Where are we, what, how are we going to get all that? And the answer is, I'm teaching you to trust the resources of the kingdom. Did you know there's such a thing as the kingdom of God? Did you know that it's all around us? Did you know that we, from the kingdom of God, we can be supplied with material needs? You say, George, how do you know that? That doesn't sound real. George, get in the real world. Here's the real world. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Have you ever been in a place where all you had was God? That's some of our greatest need. We've never been in a place where all we had was God. You know, there's this hymn. I remember when I was finishing up in seminary, getting ready to go to India, there's this hymn. I remember the chapel service we sang this hymn, so moved. We may trust him wholly all for us to do. They who trust him wholly find him wholly true. Ever been in a place where all you had was God? If you're an apostolic leader and you're going to pioneer for God, you need to know what it's like to have only God and have the experience of God supplying from the resources of the kingdom. Now, this trip to Germany, another story. Hannah and I thinking, who should we take with us? And one couple, young couple, came to our mind. So we said, Lord, is this from you or not? We prayed about it for some days. We just mentioned it to them. They had already had the thought. Boy, is there any way that we could go to this retreat with George and Hannah? But the issue comes money. Where is the money going to come from? We haven't got the money. Household budget is tight. So we prayed, Lord, if you want them to be there, we pray for your provision. Within a week, from a resource that none of us expected. It wasn't planned. We didn't think about it. It wasn't some great strategy. All of a sudden, the needs were met. And this young couple is going with us to this retreat, having experienced, again, the supply that comes from the kingdom of God. And having learned that, you know something, we can actually trust God to meet our needs. God is in control. Now, there's a final thing that we should mention in Jesus' strategy in this chapter of developing younger ministers. He told them to preach the gospel of the kingdom. you ever notice that about Jesus? keeps talking about the kingdom, and he keeps talking about the gospel of the kingdom. So let me ask you this. I realize this can be a little bit sensitive, and I don't want it to be sensitive. I'm not trying to be sensitive here. I just want to ask you a question, because it's a really important question. What gospel have you heard? And the reason that is so important is it translates into this question. What gospel is forming your understanding of the Christian life? Now, for many people, the gospel they've heard is the gospel of how to get to heaven when you die. Theologically, we could call that the gospel of justification. How are you justified? And the good news is if that's the gospel you heard and that's the gospel that's forming your understanding of the Christian life, it's not wrong. It's part of it. It's like the multiplication table. If you say, boy, I want to learn the multiplication table. Oh, good. I know that two times two is four. Well, very good. That's correct. But there's a lot more to it than that. So what is the the relationship between the gospel of how to get to heaven when you die and the gospel of the kingdom? So I've got time to say one thing else and then I'll close you got to work through that. Do the theological work by intuitive Bible study to form an understanding of what is the gospel of the kingdom because that's the gospel Jesus preached. So let me ask you a question just to get you going down that road. Do you know that there's two kinds of life in you? Did you know that? If you know Jesus, there's two kinds of life in you. You say, gee, George, that sounds like one too many. Two kinds of life. The first kind of life is the life that you got from your parents. It's the natural life. The Bible calls it various things. The Bible calls it the flesh. The Bible calls it the old man or the old self. The Bible calls it the carnal life. That's all the life that we all get. We get it from our parents. That life is in each one of us. The life of the flesh. What happens when a person truly believes? John 3. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, let me tell you something. Unless a person is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because that which is born of the flesh, the first life, the old life, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So if you know Christ, you have been given a new life. It's the life of Christ. The life of Christ is in you. His life. Now, the old life, the carnal life, the flesh life, battles against the life of the spirit. It battles against it. So this is the dynamic of the Christian life. I have to learn how to put to death the carnal life in order that the life of Jesus may find its fullest expression within me. How do I put the carnal life to death? Discipleship. That's what happens in discipleship. That's what discipleship is all about. Have you ever heard the word spiritual formation? What happens in discipleship? Spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is the fruit, the product of discipleship. And the product of spiritual formation is the old life gradually, gradually, gradually is put to death. And the new life fills and fills and fills and fills until Christ is formed in the inner life. And when Christ is formed in the inner life, there is joy and fulfillment and beauty and peace and love and glory beyond anything we could imagine. Do you want that? Are you hungry for that? Jesus is here. He's alive. He's here. He's real. And he transforms people. Let's pray together. Jesus is here. Would you like to say something to him? Lord Jesus, we thank you. You didn't leave us in the bondage and death of the carnal life. You came bringing your life, new life, life in all its fullness. Teach us your ways, Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.